Welcome everyone to another episode of the JGF podcast where we're here to explore and unpack the lives of the amazing grey generation. Uh, delighted today to be talking to Valab Sanecha. Valab Fawar, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Um, so, Valab Fawar, we uh, have so much to talk about and so much ground to cover. You should know, and I think you do know that We've spoken to Josna Fay already, so we know half of some of the stories, but delighted to kind of get into your version of events. And uh, let's start right at the beginning. Right. The words may not be exactly what you would expect or what you've never heard, but... Yeah. Okay. So, as I was saying, the version that you have heard surprisingly may not be what I would want to, you know, say. So you might find differences in there. Okay, but great. I think, yes, that, that probably is going to be a challenge. <laughs> okay, well, I can't wait with that suspense. Let's, um, let's get going. So take us all the way back to the beginning and talk to us about your childhood and where you grew up and what that was like. Okay. Childhood, memory, what I remember. As I said, I was born in a very small township, well, not even town, a village in Kenya. It was um, about one and a half, two hours drive from Kisumu, which you all know. My village was um, Maragoli, uh, where I was born. Uh, it was near Kakamega. Right. So from there, we moved, um, whilst I was still a very small boy, to a place called Ndere, which was again a couple of hours from Kisumu. Um, on the way to Siaya, which was the border town in Uganda. So anybody who went to Uganda to roads will, would have passed our town, see, because the roads went through that, through Yala and to um that place into uganda so it was on the way to uganda connecting uganda and kenya so i grew up mostly in dere dere had another african um, village attached to that and that was a Luo village basically not many indians living there it was walking distance basically you know some uh thousand yards from Ndere. So all the Luo people came to buy their stuff from Indian shops and then walked back or cycled back to their township, which was called Alego. Alego. Alego, Alego, you will also have heard about that through Obama's book, because Obama's father was also Luo from Alego. Oh, wow, I didn't know and that. Obama visited that place. Oh, okay. So when we traveled from Kisumu, because I traveled mostly uh, by bus, by local bus. So the local bus stop would be in a level. Then we would either walk back or, you know, uh, basically walk back to our place, to our hometown. In wow. So I, I studied in Kisumu in a boarding, Lohana boarding school, not boarding school, but boarding house where we stayed. And my school was 
initially Kisumu Primary School and then went to Kisumu High School where I did up to my levels and uh, then you know the life started as different you know, what was the boarding what was your boarding school experience like no there wasn't a boarding school but boarding was you know the Lorna Martin boarding right. where we stayed but then we went to schools there were no connections as such so people stayed in boarding they went to either primary school or the high school Got or the, um, there was a Hindocha school as well and you know, then we all came under one roof to live in the quarters in the in the Lohana Bodhi. Amazing. What was the what was the Hindocha school? Hindocha school had black shorts, white shorts. So <laughs> very stand out, you know, from or khaki, which was uh, three or four different schools in there. Mainly the high school, then the primary school had similar dress, but boys' ages were up to, you know, they did get uh, PMG or the second, the lower standard secondary education up to there, up to, I think, age 10, 12. And then they went to high school. And then there were a couple of African schools also similar uniforms in the area. So there were a lot of boys with khaki shorts and um, white shirts. And then there were these black shorts in town. And that, that was their dress, called really. But uh, that, that's really, you could see them anywhere you walked around in the town, ah, in Dota School. <laughs> <laughs> um, what are some of the like games or the special memories that you have from that period of your life? Um, whilst I was in Kenya, 10, 12 years. Up to then, uh, games, funnily enough, um, either kicking around the football without any rules, because we didn't know the rules, but we knew the game itself. We knew a bit of cricket as well. And we knew, um, because the boys were mainly Indians in that school, our age. So we knew how to play Gili Danda. Hmm. Knew some Indian games like Nagel, you know, you put a pile of rocks and you know, you have teams, you play Coco, which is straight line, but then you need a lot of boys to come and play with that. Right. Now, there are only three or four in the street, then either a football to kick about, or you know, we play, you know, Gilead and that, which was a, you know, quite a fine game. And then, you know, the other thing. Which reminds me, you know, when your dad and mom came to visit me and they, I was showing my garden, I said, Oh, Kuma wants to put, build, uh, you know, make a catapult. And catapult was something that we used to make ourselves there. We would have uh, rubber strips cut out from the tires. We would find a Y shaped um, piece of wood. And we, you know, there were cobblers, cobbler in the town who would have a lot of um, um, leather material. So we go and find the leather material either from him or all shoes. Take out a bit of a piece of that, punch holes on either side, and that would hold the um, stone. Straight out the catapult and hit that, and then go and play with that, you know. Dangerous game, but we, we don't aim at people. <laughs> 
we aim at try to aim at birds. Not that we would be able to catch any, but it was good fun to go out like that. And then when we roam around with our catapults, we find friends, African boys who were herders, herdsmen. They have their cows and goats and they come out with long stick and they would just go around. And that would be just like friendly, you know, and you would be around with them. Um, talking about the cows and goats and helping them and, you know, feeding the cows. And that, these were the boys who knew us because they would bring bottles of milk in the morning to deliver to our place. And the milk bottles were really beer bottles. We would have given them without any caps. But what they used for the cap was uh, maize, you know, left over in between pieces. Okay. They make it as a cork to put it in there. They would use that as a cork piece. But it would be maize, out of maize. Uh, yeah, the know, husk. Take off the Then we bring a couple of bottles to our place in the morning, the boys or the mum, and they will take the empties and we give them free bottles, you know, sometimes we have free bottles to give because at that time we were not drinking. So we have cork bottles or Fanta bottles, which were smaller bottles. But they prefer to have, you know, the larger bottles to be made. Otherwise they will have to carry four bottles to right. the same amount. But uh, yeah, normally these were the bottles were used by them to bring the milk to us in bottles. Then we had to Heat and you know remove any you know uh, stuff that wasn't required in there. You find bits in there, so clean it up, boil it properly, sanitize that. <laughs> uh, but that that was the childhood time. Amazing. Kisumu. Then Kisumu had dairy, and we used to get um, uh, milk like we get here in the bottles and then. Single caps and red caps and whatnot. Incredible. But yes, living in, in a township um, was different from living in village in Kenya. Totally different life. Mm -hmm. We had electricity there, we didn't have electricity. We used to have a petrolmates or a kerosene you know, lamp and um, a lot of candles as well. Incredible. So no electricity. No electricity, no water pumps. The water used to be, you know, brought, kept in the mud pots, you know, the, um, what they call now. You used to have like a stand. You put a pot on that. That pot would have boiled water, which would cool off and stay in the pot. That was our drink water. And for bathing purposes, our boy would go to the river with two or three the bus, the bus, you know, um, Pots they, were, they, they were recycled uh, uh, four-sided things which, in which we used to have oil. Right. We buy oil in there. So the empties were being used for ferrying water from river to us. And that water would be used for washing up and whatever, you know. Uh, tough life, but uh, interesting. And the land, a stream wasn't far from us. You know, maybe a 
one hour stand around an hour to walk. One, one hour round trip or one hour just to walk there? No, one hour there and another hour to come back. Wow, and that was considered not far? No, that wasn't. We, we would be walking around. And funny enough, we didn't even have shoes at that time. We used to have um, sleepers, rubber sleepers, you know, with two streets and that. Yeah. That again were not very comfortable for us to walk in on stones and sticks and whatnot. So we would just go bare feet, come back, and then put on that before we enter the house so that parents don't realize, you know, we're walking bare feet. So you used to go did you, you used to go with your boy or did you go by yourselves when no, you went? You, you, two or three friends would go there because these people with their cows would be coming there, you know, our friends. African friends for, for you know getting water to their animals and our houseboy would go for this to fetch water so sometimes we accompany them just for fun because we've got nothing else to do but normally boy would go and fetch that and put it on a wheelbarrow and wheelbarrow he will come one of us you know with a wheelbarrow with three or four of those in there so wheelbarrows were very important for them. An important technology. No, amazing. That's incredible. So what was it like? Do you remember what it was like for you when you moved from the township to Kenya where you had... Kisumu, yeah. yeah. A big difference because, you know, then we used to have different clothes for wearing, you know, although we still had shorts to wear in the schools, but we used to have shoes, the slippers, and, um, you know, it was totally different. You know, when you come back to the village, you don't want to see those things back again. But here, you used to have all that uh, nice clothes to go to school with. Books, a bag to carry the books. Here, you never had bags to carry three, two books. And a slate we used to use, you know, to write. So we used to take that to school. School was just one room with everybody in there sit on the floor and there's a blackboard he writes on the board and there are two or three senior classes slightly elder who have different books they will be either outside under the tree whilst we are using the blackboard or he will be outside and they will be in the room so you share one room one room one teacher one room one teacher and yeah and it was basic you know you learn basic english basic maths um, but basic maths included, you know, remembering your one times, two times, three times, four times tables up to 12 times. Right. Then A, B, C, D, and then Ka, Ka, Ga, which is Gujarati version of that. And then we used to read Gujarati stories and things in the school. So that was our basic standard. And then we came to Kisumu. No, this was all out. We went to the classes, proper classes, maybe between 20 and 30 boys in each class biggest class would be split up into a b c d four classes right mine was basically a big class considering that we had four classes a b c d four streams and interestingly you know we have different teachers for different subjects as well what happens is we have exams every you know year so when we have an exam the results would mean that first 10 
from D to move to maybe C class. First 10 of C would move to B class. Then first 10 of B would move to A class. A would drop. So A would drop. So A would drop what 10 students to be. And that would happen every year? Every every year mostly, you know. So and I studied mostly with D class, I think. Okay. The majority of my time. If I went to A, I didn't like it because my friends would be still in D. So <laughs> I would try and come back to D because uh, classes would be different, teachers would be different. How so, how old were you at this at the time that you made the change? How old? Up yeah. to, uh, we did, uh, first of all, I did my primary school there, which was from standard um, five, six, seven. Seven was an exam. Right. When you passed that exam, you went into secondary school. So seven standard, I think you did KPE exams uh, lately, but before that, there was a secondary school exam. Then we did the Cambridge exams after form four. So we had form one, form two, form three, and form four. And all those times, the same repeat of every year's, you know, um, marks and things happen, you know, all the time. So, yeah, that was... Did you have any, did you have any particular, like, favorite subjects or anything that you were especially... Yeah, no, no everybody sort of liked, because the teacher, I think, probably, liked the English literature and uh, mathematics. But... Um, Gujarati was difficult. Mm. Nobody liked that. Nobody liked the teacher. So if you haven't done the Gujarati, you know, because we used to have language classes. There were boys who were Punjabi boys who did Punjabi. There were boys who did Urdu. And there were boys who did Gujarati. There was no Hindi, basically, you know. So whilst, let's say if I'm doing Gujarati, I've forgotten my homework, and I don't want to attend that class. I'll go and sit with six friends into Punjabi class. <laughs> that part. Then come back, you know, once the class is over. So it was just swapping the classes between, you know, for just for the sake of having a variety, I think, at that time. And uh, Punjabi classes also did a lot of Bhangra dancing and things, you know, because being Punjabis, they love that. Amazing. So, so yeah, so we, we would be outside, you know, doing some dance classes and things. So we never learned the Punjabi language. So. <laughs> <laughs> Just the Punjabi culture yeah. of dancing. Yeah. We enjoyed the dancing and things. Um, <laughs> but we, we also improved on our games as well because we had a cricket pitch, we had a football pitch, and we had um, made um, a basketball pitch put in there. And also swimming pool in there. But okay. swimming pool came very late, you know. And um, the thing, the punishment was you hadn't done your your uh, work homework or something. Then you had to go and clean the pool. <laughs> they didn't have anybody to attend to that. And also help out in cutting grass around that. So around that the football pitch and the cricket pitch and things. Yeah, well, cricket pitch was difficult because we had to roll out the pitch. And, you know, it wasn't, the, the actual mat was very heavy. And you had 20 to 30 boys carrying that, you know, from pavilion 
to the uh, center of the ground. And people hated that. And we didn't have, a, you know, Africans to help. It's boys who did that, boys who brought it back again, rolled it and that brought it back. So that was a tough part of that train trip. But once we, we, we played, we loved the game. Are you a good cricketer, Manafo? Are you a bowler or a batsman? No, I probably was a catcher. A catcher. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Me too, it's fine. Um, and so, um, as you grow, grow through that school, when do you begin to sort of decide on a kind of career path or kind of what comes next? Career path was never an issue or anything to discuss, you know. Um, never had career teachers as such. Everybody wanted to take, you know, the Cambridge exams, basically, and then if they were lucky, then think about universities. If not, then work in a dead thread. Right. You know, uh, that was mainly the thing, really, you know, until I grew. But in my case, my class, I probably matured very early in the sense that I got married at uh, 21. And boys in my class didn't do that that early. They probably, you know, carried on, either went to the universities. Many of them went to universities. Universities were in Nairobi, so they had to go either Nairobi or Dar es Salaam, wherever, you know, the university to take them on. As I didn't go in any of them, I sort of came back to London to stay with um, Parat at that time because I was sent. I didn't have family here, except because I got married just now and Parat was staying here. Mm. So that's how I ended up in England. Okay, wait, so just going back, talk to us about getting married, meeting Josna Faye and uh, getting married at 21. Um, Josna was young then, similar age to me. Um, I initially started teaching because um, once I finished my Cambridge, there was no other prospect of uh, work in the sense that the government had put in the laws to say that, you know, only Vanainchi or the people who were the Kenyan subjects would get priority in the jobs. But they also started something called Harambe Project. Harambe Project was to build a lot of schools for pupils uh, around town. These were mud huts, really. Uh, one single room, patch roof, and call it a school. You know, and boys and girls there to study. But they didn't have any teachers to teach them. So we were really hunted, headhunted, to go and occupy as teachers. There was no formal teacher training because, you know, they put up so many, uh, you know, schools that they really wanted um, people they were to come. Desperate. desperate, yeah. So, but what they had was, the uh, Zungus had left them the legacy of school inspection or school inspectors. And they would send some inspectors every year into these places to see, to make them that they have got, they are following the curriculum and they are teaching the right method, the right thing, and whether they need anything else that they could provide, they would do that to the inspectorate. Did you but, 
no, I, I enjoyed teaching, you know, and I started teaching one of his uh, Harambe projects schools first. Right. Mega, so it was traveling outside, leaving the family, and then staying. Um, well, I stayed with uh, relatives, really, but, uh, you know, if you don't have relatives, it will be difficult to live on your own in, mm. in Kenya, where you cannot find a place to live or rent or do anything because that was tough and that wasn't such a thing you know as, as, um, rent and accommodation every year so how do you mm -hmm. come into contact with the Hindochas? So, so the then i decided i got uh, opportunity to move into maragoli a small village school indian school so i stayed I, after being one and a year and a bit in um African school, I came to village school where I spent another one one year something. Because I had finished my studies at the age of 17 or so, and I had three, three four years, you know, to do something. So then um, my brother was working in Miwani, elder brother. And he, there was a distillery, spirit distillery, and he was working there. So the family moved from there. My father gave up the shop because of the health reasons as well and we moved into Yuan. So I was in Yuan and um, you know I used to go there in holidays to Yuan. So at that time I think um they knew the family, Indian family, each other, you know, and uh, um, your um granddad said uh Joshna used to be a you know match. Joshna just came from, I think, India at that time, she started teaching in um, one of the town schools. So that's where we met and were introduced. And then I came to teach in Miwani as well. Right. And that was a, like a Harambe project, but it was a um, solid structure built. Um, and your dad studied there as well in that school. And while I was teaching there, I, was, I started teaching, I think, maths. And I took up because any any gap anything you you had to tackle with food. So I tackled. Um, I started teaching um, from maths to English to geography. Anything, anything else? Well, I think. <laughs> um, so were you, were you like engaged or with or were you married to Josna Fay at the time that you were teaching my dad? No. I, our engagement wasn't long. Soon after we got married, and after marriage, marriage was in December, and I came to live in England in I think May or something like that right. of 1970. So you know we had a very short period there. You know, not even a year, complete year, and then the life changed and we were in a um, big uh, European um, city, Desi, yeah. London, yes. So, uh, and then Joshna joined me in August. Right. That's incredible. I mean, it's incredible to think from your childhood all the way through like Kisumu and Kenya and then that you end up in London, right? Like a, like a major European capital. Mm. Um, actually, before we get there, I have to ask, 
Um, what was my dad like as a student, if you were his teacher? <laughs> At that time, it wasn't going to be a family tie or anything, you know. <laughs> so we, I just knew him as an ordinary, you know, boy coming in the class to study, you know. So didn't pay any particular attention to him as such. Okay. And I don't think he paid any attention to us as such. <laughs> but uh, class was well behaved. The class wasn't too fast because there were African boys and girls in there as well, as well as the Indians. My sister was also in that class. So all the Indians, they had good respect. Right. The Africans had terrible, you know, they were the most respectful. Although they were twice the size of Indian boys, huge, you know, but they were really good boys as such. They would obey, they would do the work. Sometimes if they haven't got that work done, homework, they have good reason. They said, pussy, you know, at my books. Pussy is that goat, you know. Right. Can't argue with that. <laughs> The goat oh. take my homework, is that the excuse? Yeah, they, they come out with these kind of excuses that have done their work, you know. And you know that they are lying, but, you know, everybody has a good laugh at the end. They were good sportsmen as well, you know. And one thing I had started um, in one of the um, Kakamega schools, which I tried to introduce in Kenyan school, was um, running maybe five, six miles, we sort of formed with other teachers uh, or sort of a path through the jungles. And every week, you know, every Saturday or Sunday, they held this uh, turnaround in that. Amazing. Why, why did you, why, why, why did you think that that was important? Because I always didn't like to do you know, a PE in the class, which was, you know, in, in a field, everybody stands up and, you know, just tries to do few exercises until the bell rings and nobody's really interested in doing a PE. But they love walking in the jungles. Right. And running in the jungles, you know. And um, pity that many Africans didn't have shoes. What they had was instead, you know, they cut up the tires and then put the rubber strips of the um, inside tube on that and make kind of sleeper kind shoes and they use those. Very practical. Amazing. And there were no problems and the shoes were very expensive if you got that your size because you had to have a um, good supply of shoes and mainly the one big shop called Bata shop. Bata would have shoes, you know, and you wear those shoes. Or, you know, just one kind, really, no choice. Unless you went to the cobbler, and Indians, they had a cobbler shop who would take your measurements and stitch up your size shoes for you. Mm. Those will work maybe two, three years, you know, a pair of shoes. Incredible. So, sorry, we were in England. So to tell us, tell us about what it was like when you first arrived in England, what were your... Yeah. You know, what were your thoughts and impressions? Yeah. And... I stayed with Cora, with his friends in Finchley, Auckland Avenue, was our main street then. Cora's um, was an article class, um, doing the currency. So 
obvious thing was to directly towards that because I didn't know anything else, you know, right. that I could do. And um, Barak only knew accountancy as such. So he would go and collect all the addresses to firms, accountancy firms in the city area, wherever he was working, Auburn, um, elsewhere. And he would say, okay, write to them. Um, or get an interview with them. And I did that. You know, people at that time, you know, it was not difficult to find a job. And easily I got myself in one of the accounting practices. Again, the way I had come from Kenya, um, hello. Yeah, you can still hear. Me, I can yeah? still hear you. Yeah, when you come from Kenya. Okay, let me come back here. Okay, so so yeah, the job hunting was not that difficult, but the criteria was that because I had come here as a student, I had to show something that I am a student. I'm studying, so I could not work otherwise. My visa had a limitation, and I had to send it in. To say that now I'm a student. So I signed up articles uh, for five years uh, with the firm that you know that I started um, initially. And I, I was running out of time, so I had to send them a copy of my contract. So as soon as I got the contract, sent it in, and then you know I took it easy just to work with the firm, you know. <laughs> want to move out or do anything plus also it was a tie-in kind of situation as well yeah i was working with a two partner firm called lions and co which was a jewish firm in becker street yeah. so and uh, then i studied for scc interesting what, what was it like at the partnership so what did you how did they react to you know, you and anything you learned specifically from any of the partners or the people that you were working with that was so different to being a teacher? Well, work-wise, I, I like that because it was kind of, um, you know, um, similar to mathematics, but not mathematics as such. Mm. You know? um, work-wise, partners have got different room. You don't associate with them as such. You go on the top floor, there, there are two or three other article clerks or clerks, you know, who know the jobs, who guide you, who, you know, you have somebody to talk to. And they are also, you know, doing their exams or things, you know. And as the stuff comes in, it's um, company policy to record all the, the secretary records and then finds out who is going to attempt that particular job distribute that job, get somebody to manage that with you. So there's a manager as well in-house. Manager sort of distributes all the jobs. He has got control of all the jobs coming in and going out. And he organizes you going to the clients, you working at the client's place, and then um, you, know, you take any transport, whether it's a train, whether it's your own car, whatever, and you claim your expenses accordingly. Interestingly, apart from that expense, at that time for meals, we used to have 
monthly vouchers. If you're 15 pence, 15 pence will go a long way. What could you get for 15 pence? You could get three days, um, three sandwiches or something. Really? Yeah. Was, and you get um, a bundle of one month supply every time with your payroll, with your wages. The wages were very small, little. You know, I think I started working for 10 pounds or something for a week, or I can't even remember now what I was getting. There was very little. Yeah. Because of the contract, interesting thing is that, you know, you only get your holidays and you utilize your holidays for your studies. You might get a couple of weeks thrown in for studies, but they don't like taking studies as such because it's costing them. You know. So you really have to work hard. Mm -hmm. Even in your three weeks holidays, that time I think you were only getting three weeks holidays plus another week or two weeks for exams for preparation. Incredible. It sounds like a very tough. Yeah, apart from that month, but we used to study in libraries every evening before going home. So, yeah, that was tough because mostly it was cost on those courses um, mm -hmm. again at home because there were not that many colleges offering, you know, like they do now in their courses and their exams for accountancy. It wasn't there when I started. Amazing. Mm -hmm. And so, do you and Josnafe are in Finchley with the family? When do you um, move out, and and when? How does that all start to evolve? Yeah, we, we lived um, quite a number of years um, in that flat. Um, originally, the flat was shared for and friends, uh, with three other friends. But eventually, when we moved in, the friends had to move out and find something else so that we then could share the rooms and then one by one the family started joining us right you know, uh, Viran came next well, my brother also came and stayed a few I think months with us but he got fed up and he didn't have any friends here uh, all his friends the people he knew were in Leicester so my brother-in-law was in Leicester. My brother-in-law took him to Leicester. So he went and settled in Leicester. So we and Mama stayed with us. Yeah. Lee Parat was here. Um, so, you know, it was easy for the family to stay. Eventually, what we did was we um, moved around. Me and Josna got another place to rent in Eastern, Eastern Finchley with another family. So we stayed there. Um, we had the house was owned by an Indian called Kiroya, because Kiroya, the Oakland Avenue house was also Kiroya's property. And it, um, then we moved out from the family that we were sharing into into Kiroya's place. He gave us that flat. That, that flat was up down two separate flats. Right. And and um, there was another Indian family living on top. I think we, no, we were living on top. They were on the ground floor. So we still have a connection with them. Oh, great. Lately, he, the family main chef was my client as well. Oh, nice. Uh, Badiani, yeah. 
So we, we knew the family completely. Also, then when we uh, lived in Finchley, the family who came to live in that, because three above flats, converted them into a down, you know, so he could get maximize his rent. So he gave that other flat on top to the family from Nairobi. And we are still in touch, and they are also my clients. And we know them very well, and they became family friends. So the whole family, you know, from their kids till they got married, we knew them very well. Amazing. Yeah. Lots of deep uh, connections being made at that point. That connection is, you know, Bharti is still in touch with Krishna. Uh, the youngest daughter is a nurse now, district nurse in this area, teaching, the, and she came to remove her stitches today. Oh, cool. Oh, wow. What a, um, amazing. And Bharti, when she was dating another friend who lived in Finchley called Raju, he, you, we used to, you know, get on the train at the same time and so forth. So we knew him, and Raj, and Bharti and him used to meet at our place, and they got married. So now Raju plays golf with us. So yes. a lot of connections since then. Yes, so many deep connections at that time. Um, so what what comes next in your story? So you're working in this partnership, Baker Street. You've moved. Oh, so Baker Street, I I worked. I think um, until I sort of did my final exam, I was just about, I think, four years. One year was about, maybe five years I worked with that company. Then I moved into um, West End from Sharp, Fair Brother, and Co., which was another Jewish firm. Sharp Brothers were very traditional um, anglicized boys they were men at that time they would be like you know um, black suit um, always an umbrella with them um, you know the, how typical English is yeah the kind know, of caricature both, both were exactly similar they looked alike as well difficult to put them apart but they were fair brothers, you know, they had their accountancy practice and I worked for them for a while. Again, they had students, um, I think, two streets away in another, you know, building. So we used to, the manager used to give us the jobs there. So we, we only met the sharp fair brothers, the principals, I think, um, once in a month, the meeting, you know in-house meeting but not regularly we, our connection was mainly with um, with the manager manager really mm -hmm. and half the time you were sent away to clients place so you know there might be two people in the building or one person to get milk delivered there and one person would go and buy everybody's lunch you know, everybody ordered through them and it was just like a holiday camp really until we were sent out to audit assignment or, you know, to work at the client's place. Um, yeah, we had to travel to Scotland, come back, um, travel by air mainly, we went to Scotland. So I had a few trips there, but that wasn't enjoyable because it was in um, Glasgow, industrial estate, very dense, very, 
not like now, you know, clean offices or anything that you see now here. There was no heating, very cold place, and everybody didn't want to go there. But, you know, sometimes you end up going there, you know, days on end. So it was any, any outing out, outside, you know, London, nobody was prepared to go. <laughs> <laughs> So when um, when does when do your children enter the picture? When does Sona and Raj kind of come into things? Sona came in um, seventy six, so six years down the line, and uh, Raj was born eighty three. Mm. So quite a few years gap in between them as well. Yeah. So by then we had our own place because. We kept on moving, you know. So we bought a two-bed place in Stanmore for Honeypot Lane, Ox Honeypot Lane. And that's where I think Sona was born. No, Sona was born. Sorry. Sona was born whilst we were in Portland Avenue. So she, her hospital was in um, um, just now what is Sona's hospital? Um, no, Finchley, but which hospital was that? Um, Archway, you know, there is a hospital. Yeah, but uh, the name. Yeah, but uh, it, it was the year. Yeah, 76 was the year that um, I finished with the exams and um, I had the car. We drive and the car was again a thing that needs some explaining because the way I did it, I had three tests. I failed two tests. I would work in West End, so I would take a train from East Finchley to go there. So I would book a, you know, a driving lesson in Finchley. So he would pick me up from the station. Many times he can't get there in time. So he got fed up with me. Three times I let him, you know, I didn't, he was waiting for me. I didn't come up, you know, in time for the lesson. And he told me off. So I said, okay, I don't want any lessons from you now. So I didn't have any lessons. What I did was when I used to come out, I had to walk to get the bus to Central Finchley from there. So I walked past the um, motor garage. I saw a Volkswagen and I said, okay, I'll go and buy that car. So I bought the car, it didn't have the license. So I used to drive that at night. I kept that for such a long time again, that car, you know, until I got the license on that. Then I think I got the car for something like a silly price of 265 pounds then it was difficult money to get together as well mm. but i spent that on the car and the car i did more than 120,000 miles i mean when i bought it it had already <laughs> done it 80,000 miles you know so it was all kind of a right of thing and i carried on for another 30,000 miles you know for <laughs> two years or more when i sold the car i put it in the paper and there was an indian boy family living just opposite, he knew the car all the time. So he said, oh, if you wanted to sell the car, why didn't you come and tell me first? I want you to take off that ad right away now. Or anybody phones, tell them it's sold. So I did that 
and fast the car to him. So he bought it basically for me. Nice. Oh, that's a lovely story. Yes. And then um, at that time, your dad went out and bought. Um, no, before your dad bought the car. After selling that car, I bought a car from a guy that was working with me in the firm. Mm. Yeah, mm. Mikhail, he was going back to America and he wanted to sell desperately his uh, Datsun. At, at that time, it was a Nissan company car called Datsun. It was a um, typical orange car. Right. Then your dad started looking at Datsuns as well. He says, Oh, I like this car. And he went and bought a Datsun as well. And before that, he had an English car. Um, I don't know whether it was a Ford or something, or it was a lot of problems. Datsun's never had any problems. Best cars, I think, at that time. Mine was a VW, which was the best, you know, best of the lot. Nice. I never had any problem. And um, at that time, all our cars were serviced by Kimji. You know him. Yeah. 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 So, so that flat in Honeypot Lane, when I sold that, I bought a place, a house um, in Harrow, uh, Harrowee. And Raj was born there. Okay. North Park, the family then. And um, since having stayed there for, um, I think, a few years, uh, Raj and Sona both wanted to move out into secondary school, another school. Sona wanted girls' school. Uh, Raj, at that time, was not particularly, you know, uh, asking for any particular school. But we moved into this Mill Hill area so that uh, Cockton School would be girls' school for Sona. Right. And Raj studied in uh, Hell Drive, our school, in the road. Yeah. And from there, Raj went into Kiwi Boys. Uh, Sona finished her studies from there and went to um, uni. Hmm. How, do you, how do you think that sort of parenthood changed things for you? So, you know, you come to the UK as like a young man and you started work and you're working in the city and you're kind of at home. How does, how do you reflect on everything, it? Everything depends and changes and support from the family because by then, Viran was here, Bakul Vama came. Parents came, um, bought another house in Kingsbury. So, you know, things were always, always something or the other happening. And then I was using my VW, especially to travel at night so that I can't be stopped by police, come to Finchley, go back, you know. And uh, yeah, it was interesting life at that time. Yeah. Um, how, do you, how do you think you? And this is true of all of you, I think. You all adjust and adapt so well. well why do you think that that is? And like you said, things are changing around you all the time. It's, you know, lots of the unknown, lots of uncertainty. But you all just seem to kind of get on with it and just thrive in, in that. How, how do you think that comes to be? Yes, if, if you think, you know, family grows, needs grow, um, members increase in the family. and from your own example, you know, you got married, Neha got married, things just develop, you know, find its own way, you know, like water finds its own way around families, same thing, you know, family as it grows, you know, things change, 
with the family, education with going to unis, Raj going into central London, then Raj staying in central London to say, you know, I want to be away from family now, you know. So he rented for a long time whilst he was there, you know. So now he's settled with his own flat. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So things, things, I think, just happened, you know. Yeah. yeah. They find their own way. I like that. I like the analogy to water. That's um, that's beautiful. Um, but if, well, some questions I want to ask about. So, I mean, firstly, I mean, obviously, thank you for you know sharing your stories with us. We're not done yet, but um, one section of the podcast that I want to do is to talk about the people that I can't interview because they're no longer with us. Um, so I'd just love to get your thoughts or any stories or perspectives you have on um, Ba and Bapuji. Ba and Bapuji, yeah. Um, they were a great help to raise our kids, really, you know, particularly we being the first one to have the kids in the family uh, before your dad for uh, whoever you know, so our kids literally grew up or brought up by um, grandfather, hmm. grandmother, and um, the thing is that you know we both were working at the time. We had to support you know the family, so it was very important to have that help to our family, you know, from them to you know look after the kids without questions, without anything, you know. The only time we probably, you know, um, had problems was just had to leave to, to take Sona to school. That time we, did, we didn't have cars as such, you know. Places were not far to go, but the schedules were quite busy. They had drama classes, they had, you know, whatever, dance classes and swimming classes. And they need to be taken everywhere, you know, regularly. And she used to carry them in a um, you know, stroller and, uh, you know, take them everywhere. So, yeah. And uh, that's how they met up with friends who had babies being looked after. Today, if you look at our road, uh, three or four moms who had their boys studying with Raj and Sona, they are still family friends. Because they used to do their workouts, take the kids to school, bring them, yeah, whatever. They they remain friends, you know. Yes, so, so, so partly, you know, after finishing my um, work um, in West End, I came to work in a very local place in Finchley. At that time, there was Bank of India, and on top of that was. Schindler Gordon, the accountancy firm, and I picked up job there. So I was just walking corner to go up there, come back. So that was very convenient um, job. So I didn't have to travel in the train so much, you know, to go out to work, but just stay local. So that was a great help, you know, and that gave me a lot of time because traveling at that time, even to go at West End was nearly 60 minutes, you know, 40 minutes easily. Then you had a walk to your place. Come, so you lose every day a couple of hours in your travel time. And I saved all that time to be with the family. It was good. So, That's nice. Um, two other people, and well, another couple, I guess, that I can't uh, interview are Vibhav, Vibhav, 
Buffet and Vijay for one. Um, any uh, thoughts, stories, uh, interactions with them? Yes, um, Vijay and Viva were originally in South NNC. And that was the time when the family, we used to travel up to them, mainly come back. Um, it was good to see them all the time, but it was also sad to see that, um, you know, um, Vipa's parents, sorry, uh, Vipa, Vijay's parents were quite strict. And the system was something that you could not fit into, adjusting to very easily, you know always talking back and what, 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 you know. so that was a slight thing that you know was hurting family in a sense but otherwise you know um yeah family was good you know vijay himself was very good you know and um, i think opened up more when they traveled more with Parapada in india came back you know things changed very much so I think um, they they formed a very very good couple as such you know both of them apart from the family we never ever were able to mix with their side of the family with their side of the family that was difficult yeah that's sad um so thank you so the next sort of section other kind of fun fact questions. So I've got some quick fire questions for you so we can learn a little bit more about you as we go. Um, are you ready? Yeah. Okay, great. What is the kindest thing anyone's ever done for you? I think I would go back to mom and dad, father, you know, that they helped us so much to look after our family, you know, kids, particularly when the need was there, particularly, you know, because that they were the first young babies in the family. And, you know, the family support that we got was the kindest thing, I think. Amazing. What, Valofor, what's the most romantic thing that you have ever done? No, I'm not a romantic person, so I can't remember <laughs> doing anything romantic. In my life. No. There's still time, you know. One of the things that I, I was, I might be able to do something. Yeah, I, I you're retired now. You know, there's no excuses. You, you, <laughs> you can plan something. Um, is there anything that you would change from the past? From the past, not really. You know, thinking back, you know, what we had, I think, um, is um, something that probably may not have developed in the same way, you know, if it was different. And I cannot, you know, see myself, you know, adjusting to any anything different from what we have now. Um, the only regrets is that, you know, um, now in this family, we have lost uh, the, the real members of the family, Vipa and Vijay, you know, and buying buffalo. So you know, family is really you know, um, not the same that mm. I knew the family when I came and we were growing up together. We were still having holidays together as well. 
Yeah, I know. We miss them deeply. Um, so some of these questions can get philosophical. And one thing, you know, we mentioned your retirement. One thing that Sona has been telling me is that you've been reading a lot of books in your retirement. So I'm hoping that you have wonderful advice and wisdom, pearls of wisdom kind of coming out of you through these books. What would be your advice to your 30 year old self? When I was 30 years, I was in prime working situation. At that time, um, like everybody else, you have hobbies and things and you want to read, you want to learn languages, you want to do lots of things, you know, and nothing that like that was possible or feasible at the time. Um, even traveling was difficult. Um, although, you know, yeah, left me. But a couple of clients I had to get rid of was most difficult. Yeah. And my clients started with me. They were quite young in those days. Then the second generation, the kids came, became my clients. And I have a third generation as well, kids, kids, who were my clients. So some of the clients I looked for three generations. And that, that I find, you know, the loyalty with those clients was very good in my lifetime. Today, you know, there's no, nothing like loyalty in business. Today, you have one phone company, you get fed up, you change them. You have one electricity supplier, you change them every year, you know. So, the question what, of loyalty. What do you think is the secret to good loyalty or generating loyalty from your customers? Or clients. Like customers, you know, you treat them as family. You don't treat, treat, treat them as customers. You, know. you don't only look after the business affairs. You talk about their family. You meet them. You participate in their, you know, whatever. You always ask their help, their family. You remember them by name. You know the family connections. So all that goes along with mm -hmm. and keeping the clients as family. Yeah, that's amazing. That's really powerful. We had cars, but we were tied down and it was difficult to leave the place and go. Although I had family in Leicester and that was the only place I used to travel, apart from, you know, doing two or three journeys down south, um, from world to Lens and but not regular, you know. And again, holidays were not something that I would think of with uh, small growing babies to go to, you know, at that time they were difficult as well. Although having said that, we also managed to take Sona and Raj when Raj was only three years to Disneyland in America. We traveled a lot, you know, at that time. I think they might still have memories of Disneyland. Incredible. But uh, I think Disneyland opens up, you know, minds and memories so much that I think it's a must for every family to do that either in Paris or in America, particularly in America, you know. Though it's it's um, something that we dream, dream about, it never happens, you know, but still it's better than the books, you know. Yeah. So that's that's one key message. All the people listening is get off to, let's all go to Disneyland. Um, the books came in later, you know. Um, I always had the interest to read, but I never had the time. The opportunity. So now that I have time, 
then I spend because once you are retired in the house, there's only so much you can do. There's not much. You just want to sit against the television all the time. So books gives you what's, a good time, you know. What's your favorite book, What's your favorite what or name some of your favorite books or stories? Um, I read anything that comes in, you know. Um I like biographies more. But uh, I, I enjoy all kinds of books. And, um, you know, um, gardening is another issue that I've just picked up. You know, I, I like uh, watching the programs on gardening as well as thinking more about that. Because that's something that I've been doing now for a time that since the last two years I've been retired, the last three years. You know. so, yeah, you, you see. Uh, positive in your health you see what you grow uh, comes to life and it's an outdoor activity as well yeah it's good you know nice i like it what's um what's your favorite food so if if you know if you were walking in from a hard day's work of gardening outside mm. and uh, you can kind of smell something kind of cooking in the kitchen just on face making something what's what are you hoping that she's made for you what's your favorite dish my favorite food would be, you know, just ordinary Indian chapati and curry, basically. Um, I don't particularly fancy sweet food, but when we say that, you know, occasionally it's good. Mm -hmm. so I like fried food, but I think it's not healthy as well. <laughs> What? Um, okay, tell me something that very few people in the family know about you. That is a difficult question. Very, I think I'm an open book. Everybody knows me. <laughs> so far, everybody has said that, and then suddenly everyone remembers like at least one or two things that not many people know. To be honest, it doesn't have to be anything big or special it could be a hobby that you had when you were young or it could be you yeah. know something that you're interested in now i i started a hobby whilst i was in kenya stamp collecting okay. I, have a, I have a massive collection and i always thought that now i don't have time i'm working here once i retire i'll look at that again make a catalog but it has never happened once i took up some stamps put them in you know some kind of an order packed it in you know i lost the interest in that entirely <laughs> you know. but having said that i got a good collection of post decovers and stamps someday i think i'll share it with you as well yeah and, uh, i think the idea would be because both sona and Raz don't have the interest in that mm. uh, and i i i wish somebody in the family takes up on that Excellent. Maybe somebody listening will um, pick you up yes. on your offer to be your successor of uh, collecting stamps yes. for the family. Um, last couple of questions. What do you think makes the uh, the Jolly Good family special? The interesting thing about Jolly Good family is, um, you know, which I haven't seen in other families, is the bond between the family from the oldest to the you know smallest in the family and that is something you know interesting to, to sort of have to have achieved and to continue and um, 
you know, it, I haven't seen, well, I've rarely seen in, in person your side of the family kids and also Neha's. But I always find when I get any, any, any on the, on the, you know, on the telephone about their school days or whatever, you know, that makes my day. That's very sweet. Yeah, it's amazing. The bond and the closeness of the family, especially now, you know, through the different generations is, um, is very, very cool to see. Um, so I, at the end, I'm going to name kind of some of the jolly good family and I'd like you to describe them in just three words. Okay. So whatever three words first come into your head, this is supposed to be very, very quick. Um, so kind of clear your mind, clear it out, and I'm just going to tell you a name and you're going to tell me the first three words that come into your head about that person. Um, so the first one is Kundanfei. Yes, wise person in the family. Yes. So wise? <laughs> she, she's uh, like a dadima. <laughs> a wise dadima. I'll leave it there before it gets worse. She, she will tell you on the face, you know. Yeah, she will. Yeah. Uh, Josna Faye. Uh, that is uh, difficult. Sometimes, <laughs> <laughs> sometimes, you, <laughs> sometimes you don't know what's in her mind. <laughs> difficult. <laughs> to work out, you know. She's a puzzle, a riddle. For you to puzzle, solve. Riddle, yes. You've been working on that puzzle for a long time now, Balafua. You... Yeah, my life, whole lifetime. Since <laughs> I was 17, well, since I was 20. Now, I don't track that. There you go, that's something to do in retirement. Uh, Latafe. Uh, um, I found her quite bubbly. And I think she's still the same. Mm. You know, she hasn't changed. Physically, she would have changed because uh, the illness that she has. Nevertheless, I think both Lata and Viva, very similar characters. You know. um, I find them, yeah, cool people to be around. With. Yeah. Uh, Bartha. Bartha. I think um, he, he is at heart a very good person, but he may come out with words and things which might you might find upsetting, you know, because it just tells you what comes out, you know, really. It may not be something that you expect from him. Yeah. At heart, he has got nothing, you know, um, malice about that. Yeah, but there's no malice in him. Yeah, yeah. But he he seems <laughs> he seems to be forwarding on a lot of Trump propaganda at the moment. So um, oh, yeah. um my dad, Viren. Uh he's a gentleman. Um, I appreciate what he's done for the family, for myself well and um, um, I respect him in that sense mm. yeah. 
and Baku Kaka. Baku Kaka has his way with words. Um, again, it's very cool to be around with Tony, always laughing. Um, yeah, it's, it's good. Yeah, amazing. Um, well, Valafar, you've been a wonderful sport. Before we close up, is there anything that you would like to share with everyone before we say thank you and goodbye? Um, yeah, I'm looking forward to another sort of family get together party kind of thing, you know, which we haven't had because of the corona. Hmm. But uh, yeah, those times are very good, you know, you see the whole family again. Um, particularly now, uh, that one year is a loss, really, in everybody's life. Yeah, we're recording this in October 2020 when uh, we've not been probably really able to see each other for at least nine or ten months now, most of us. Um, and I agree, it's a lot more fun when we're all together and uh, able to have such a good time. So, Volofoat, listen, thank you so much for taking so much time out of your day. Thank you. And uh, I hope your project works well. Well, you know. I'm sure um, it will. With like your, with your guys' support, it'll, it'll be great. And I'm sure, you know, people will love listening to your stories and your journey sort of through life and so thank you so much and i'm sure you know we'll be back soon